Hey, welcome to episode two of Leading Ladies. I'm Mata Brazai. And Sue Hawks. All right, and today we're going to be talking about your first hire. So last time, it sort of naturally merged. We're talking about getting started, and one of the things that came up is, okay, so now you've gotten started, and now you realize there's some things you're great at doing, and there's some things you're not great at doing, (laughs) and you might not be able to do it all yourself, so you're going to need somebody. And today we're going to talk about that somebody in the process of getting them. And if you already have somebody's, I think you'll find things you can relate to as well because hiring is possibly one of the most frustrating and rewarding parts of business. Often more frustrating than rewarding because it's more art than science, I think. Yes. So we were just talking about wanting to... One of the objectives we have is to help people feel less alone. And one of the things I think that everyone feels is that their first hire or first few were a disaster, when in reality it's probably more true to say that everyone's first few hires are a disaster. So let's talk about that. How often does it actually work out well? I think, on well, at least for me, my first one I would say was lucky. Subsequent ones weren't so lucky, um, but I remember the thought process for it, and I, my guess, I work with more mature businesses, but my guess would be the majority are not so great, not the first time through, because you've never done it before. And as we talked about planning, I have a very similar view on when you're hiring your first person, you have all this stuff going on in your head and what you're worried about and what you're excited about and what you're hopeful for. And also, what if you screw it up? And you do. So I think a lot of people do. Yes, absolutely. It's scary because it's someone you're spending more time with in many ways than you do with a spouse. And think about the process of picking a spouse, there's a whole process of dating. Oh, I'm bad at that, too. <laughs> Till the last but, one. Oh, but, like, there's a whole process of getting to know somebody um, over time and seeing them in all these different circumstances. I mean, ideally, you know, you have time to really see them and get mm-hmm. to know their character. And yet, with hiring, oftentimes, you're picking someone to spend hours and hours and hours with who you really need to rely on who you really need to mesh with, and you get maybe, what, two 30-minute meetings? If you're lucky. Yeah. And do yeah. you have meetings, even? Yeah. In yeah. the beginning? No. I mean, it's like a... <laughs> They're random. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was thinking of the interview. Like, you know, it's oh. like, imagine if you had to marry somebody yeah. after spending two 30-minute dates with them. Maybe I'd do better. <laughs> <laughs> so. But... No, it's so true. And I think, you know, and I put it in today's world because... I'm 52. For those listening who might not know us, I'm 52 years old. When I came out of college, we were not groomed to interview like kids are groomed to interview now. They interview so well. Like the, I, I think we call them the millennials, which I don't think is fair, but the younger, the people coming right out of college, they are groomed to do this. So when you're talking about two 30-minute things and you're often going to hire someone who's green because you don't have a lot of money, Um, At least when I did it, I remember thinking, oh my God, I can't afford anyone. It's going to cost so much money. I'm so scared I'm going to screw it up. What if they don't do the job well? I wasn't thinking about what it was going to free me up to do or how I'd make more money because of that. My focus was on what's this going to cost? How will they do it? What if they're not as good as I am? I need them to be 10 times better. And to your point, 
you know, two 30-minute interviews and you're going, yeah, you seem like a good one. We could get along. This is good. I'm not looking. I'm, you said the right things. Seems mm -hmm. good. Let's do this. And it's much more of a, you haven't even dated. You know, you just jump in and say, let's make this work. Yeah, yeah. And so it, in a lot of the times, in a lot of the instances, it actually then ends up not being a good fit. Mm -hmm. So um, what are some of the common things? Are there any common things? Because you work with a number of businesses, uh, or I'm sure you have friends who are entrepreneurs. Are there like common <laughs> themes of like things that you've heard that are like disasters for the first hire? Or? Oh, there's lots of disastrous. I mean... I have heard everything from people embezzling money, I had that happen, um, to I thought they were one thing, I thought they were another thing, and then they showed up and it was completely different. So someone talked a good game and then they didn't know how to run a computer even, you mm -hmm. know. So there, there are people who don't take showers, literally, where you're <laughs> having these rudimentary conversations where they cleaned up well for the interview, mm -hmm. but they show up for work and you're like, did you comb your hair today? Mm -hmm. So you can take the plethora of concerns from basic, no, you don't wear that to work, or you don't come to work in this manner, or no, you have all the package dressing, but you can't do the job well, I mean, I've heard it all, and I know that first time through, the first time you're making a hire, I think what's most important is you've got to be crystal clear on two things. You have to know what is it that you value and what is the culture you're going to have. Even with one employee, you have to start saying, what do we share, like a tribe, like a community, like a family that we can rely on when um, maybe things are hitting the fan? And then we have to have really good competencies that have to be a complement to what I do, not a reprint of what I do, which I think most people are guilty of first time through. I think we hire ourselves or someone just like ourselves, which I've also done. That's really a fascinating point because you were talking about some of these things that end up being surprises because you don't know the person. I think another theme that I have personally experienced and also observed with other friends who are business owners is this idea of hiring our friends. So we assume... <laughs> or family. Or family. Or family. Yeah. yeah, so people yep. we know. Yep. So we assume because we have this closeness or this understanding of them in this different context that it's going to work well. <laughs> uh, Long term. Yeah, and uh, that ends up often not being true at all. And so the other thing too is is like that's both sides of that spectrum. There's the person who you thought was one thing and then it turns out they don't have the skills or they don't have the hygiene. And then there's the person you've known forever, mm -hmm. but it turns out you didn't know them in terms of their professional demeanor or competencies. and. What a surprise that can be when you feel like you knew them so well. Well, and beyond surprise, if I can add on, because I think that's the conundrum the majority of small businesses, smaller get in, because now you have to have a difficult conversation with one of your besties, yeah. or who used to be your bestie, yeah. about something that's really sensitive, really, and you care about them so deeply. It's not this person you hired for a set of requirements mm -hmm. it's I'm gonna tell you some feedback you weren't necessarily asking for and you're gonna resent me for it and in fact they do yeah yeah and because there's so much more relationship at stake yeah and I mean I think 
for me, when in my lifetime, I've learned that there's two pretty uh, foolproof ways of ending friendships. One is, <laughs> is, is writing to, this down. One is to live together. Uh, <laughs> I think it's the same. And, really? and yeah, and the, uh, the other is to hire them. Exactly, because uh, you're living together all day. Yeah, yeah. I think you know, much much better approach to form friendships with those we work with than to try and sustain. A friendship brilliant. of yeah, I th I think that is that's the crux of it. Yeah. Not to throw in your business in the <laughs> middle of it, but I do agree with you a hundred percent. So so I think those things, and you brought up a really uh, critical point, which is another thing uh, that I think really is worthy of focusing on a little bit more, which is like, does what you do. Which or is like you? Oh yeah. Which we're all guilty of. I think that's another very mm -hmm. common mistake that we all make is we're like, oh, this person's just like me, and this is going to be great. It's going to make need, my life easier because I just need to be here more. I need more time. I need to be able to do this more. So if there's another one of me, wow, this will solve all of the problems. When in fact, it does not solve all the problems, and actually sometimes looking to fill the gaps of what we don't have, don't bring, or are not like is what's actually going to solve the problem and help support the business. Could not agree more. The, you know, the thought of that is very contrary to the actual act of it because I think when we're interviewing, again, put yourself in that so you know, traditional kinds of questions. What are your strengths? <gasps> Ooh, I like those. Those are ones like mine. Mm -hmm. You know, what are your weaknesses? Awesome. We won't have to worry about those because we both stink at the same stuff, which should be a bright red flag. You know, and what have you done? Oh, good. We have similar life experiences. And to your point, I think we have to look at the things. What don't I do well? Mm-hmm that I am not great at but I or I might even be marginally good at but I don't enjoy mm -hmm. and then you have this other bucket of what don't I like and I'm not good at and those should be the first things to go yeah. you know the bookkeeping the for me the bookkeeping the detail work the follow-through the calendaring all of those things had to be hired first mm -hmm. because oh my god if I could have that time back I didn't feel like I had a weight around my ankles going for a swim and you know, I think for the majority of people when they're starting, like you said, I want to replicate me because it just means twice the effort. Well, you're going to get twice as much of what you are doing and twice as much deficit of what you're not. Yeah. Um, and that's such a counterintuitive thing when you're new to it also because you don't know what it should be. Yes, that's really important. And I think that aspect too of if I don't, if I'm not good at it, if I don't know how to do it or if I dislike it also then you start to second-guess yourself like okay then how am I gonna yep. manage it how am I gonna know if it's being done well right so I, let's talk about that a little bit because what happens then in that instance I mean let's take bookkeeping as one instance <laughs> of that. right where I went <laughs> yeah yeah well I know for me you know I remember my very first business partner, this is a true quote, came out of my mouth. He was very detailed. He was in another state, lived in Oregon. And I remember him saying to me, how are you managing the books? And I said, well, I kind of do it to intuitive accounting. And I am certain in Oregon, a bomb went off that day in his head <laughs> because he reacted so strongly on the phone. And he's, he's thinking this is our livelihood. 
how can you do intuitive anything? And I said to him, in all the years I've been alive, I was about 30 years old, maybe a little shy of, I've never ever bounced a check. I've never ever, like I have all this evidence on the intuitive side and that's grounded factual stuff. But I, I wouldn't let myself get there. But I also know that for me to nitpick, I also am the person who never ever ever balanced my checkbook or made sure everything balanced out because that work killed me. It drained my energy. It was awful. So I found this happy medium so I knew what to look for. I knew how to re read a balance sheet and a P&L. And so I think from a basic standpoint, you have to educate yourself whether you like it or not so the summary can make sense and you know what questions to ask. But I don't have to be a bookkeeper. Mm -hmm. I just need my bookkeeper to get me the data I need. And then what I would say is the next thing you need is a great accountant. So there's three sets of eyes, yours, the bookkeepers, and the CPA. And to me, and this might be in the trusting bucket, I'm not going to have the level of detail or knowledge that either of them are. But I know the big stuff to ask, and I can ask either one to find out about the other and cover my tracks. And that was the only way I found to do it. But could something happen? Certainly. Mm -hmm. um, that's part of running a business. Yeah, and I think that combo that you mentioned, so there's this piece, and we sort of implied it, but we didn't articulate it explicitly, which is like there are some times when your hire or your first few hires are actually not employees right. and they're consultants right. to support you in your business. So, but in any case, that balance, I feel like you almost, the way you described it almost felt like a tripod or a three-legged stool of getting the knowledge that you need in order to make the right assessment mm -hmm. and in order to make the decisions that someone whose responsibility it is to make sure that the data is correct isn't necessarily the right person to assess it and determine how to act on it. So you need, whether or not you enjoy it, if you're gonna get into business ownership, there's a certain basic level of competency that you need around so that stuff. And whether, honestly, I, and I just think like there's like these categories of things, and we're talking right now about the accounting piece, but I also think that there's this component that has to, you know, so it's like ties to the accounting, which is like the taxes and sort of the business functioning All piece. All the fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> then there's also the, the HR, um, which again has its tentacles in both of those in terms of everything from benefits to retirement to all, but all of these things that you're gonna find that you have a thing that you love to do and you set out to do that thing. And all of a sudden that thing comes with tax law and accounting <laughs> and P&L and, and human not. resources mm -hmm. and all sorts of things that you did not realize that you were signing up for. Right. Um, and that balance between how do you learn enough about it to ensure that you're doing the right that you're being the right steward for it but not being sucked down into the quagmire of all the details of it no I think I think that's the right approach because business really from a holistic viewpoint and we teach this in EOS is if you look at a business you need three things to be considered to be a business you need some sort of sales and marketing you need some sort of operations how you deliver your products or service and then you need some sort of finance and those are kind of the three legs of the stool and you're not going to be good at all three mm -hmm. there's not a human being alive that is 
great and loves all three of those. You can be competent, which I think is the key word you yeah. said, at all three, enough to the fourth position is the person who can harmonize and synthesize those functions. And when you're starting your business, you might have to outsource it because you know what? The need is not great enough mm -hmm. for full-time anything yeah. or even part-time. And my first employee was part-time and I was scared to death to spend the money. And then yet that reciprocity, because I'm a sales sort of person, is if I can spend more time doing that, we're gonna have more money. But you're not thinking, I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about, oh my God, I'm spending money. I'm spending money I may not have one day. And because I'm a consultant and I'm in business services, what if something happens? There's, ah, you know, and you get in this, where are we gonna get it from? Even though that's my strength. Mm -hmm. And so I think the backside of that is to be cognizant that we have to have all these functions. If I'm deficit in any of them, by getting someone who's complementary, I can do more of what I'm great at and they can function and I can still have the knowledge enough to make sure it's okay. Mm -hmm. Where do you get it? How much do you need? How often? Um, how integral is it to what you're doing? Is it gonna evolve into part-time? Is it gonna evolve into full-time? That's all up to how big you wanna get and I think the bigger question is what are you doing? Like what's the end game? Because some people say, people hate the phrase lifestyle business. That's, I think it's accurate. Mm -hmm. You know, some people want a nice living mm -hmm. that their business affords them. Mm -hmm. They don't have this big need to go, I wanna have 580 employees and I wanna be the next, you know, mogul and that's my deal. And I think there's a bunch of people that say, no, I just really wanna be able to go on vacation when I want. I wanna have a good group of people around me. I wanna enjoy what I do. And I don't think there's any shame in that, but you've gotta know where you're going to know what those hires are, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's a really important point. So what are some do's and don'ts? If we had to tell people, is there such a thing to say some of the no-brainer, do you have some no off brainer, the top of your head? Because I just talked a long time. Um, well, <laughs> I think, one. so to some of the ones that I was thinking of, you actually just talked about. So I think the first one is to realize that even with one other person, you're actually creating a culture mm -hmm. and you're you're setting a trajectory. And it's a lot easier to change a trajectory when it hasn't gone very far at the beginning <laughs> than it is yeah. like way down the line. Though. Yeah, yeah, way down the line. Uh, yep. And you're building a culture. So being really thoughtful about whether it's just two people and it's gonna be that way for a while or whether it could grow to 10 or 100 what does that, what is the DNA of that? What does that begin to look like? That's on you as being the first one there and having started the business um, or being the steward of it. So I think like, and in my case, I didn't even start the business. I joined a business, but at a certain point recognized it completely needed to be uh, recreated. And so that aspect from that moment forward of thinking, what does that look like from a culture perspective, from a higher perspective, from all of those things? And uh, in my instance, one thing I did was recognize that there was certain aspects of the culture and of the business that were problematic, that were based in part in our hiring practices. So for us as a group of consultants who specialize, 
one of the things that we had been doing as a business for years and years that was in fact almost sabotaging us is we were hiring junior people. We were hiring people and like some of it was like, oh, we need to add someone that needs to be a lower price point. It's quote unquote less risk. But in fact, we were spending oh, two to three so years critical. Yeah, training them, getting them to, to the point where they were finally of the level of value we needed and no one's going to stay at their first job out of college. I mean, very few people are gonna right. stay at their first job right. out of college for a decade, right? So just when we got them to the point where it was like, yes, they really get what we do and how we do it, they'd leave, mm-hmm. and then we were back at square one. And I think, I'm not the fastest learner in the world because I think about the fourth time <laughs> that that happened. That's all right. I, better I, than five or more. Yeah, I, re- <laughs> there, yeah. I realized, hmm, I'm not doing this again. Uh-huh. Um, from now on, I'm going to hire experienced, seasoned people who are actually going to come in knowing how to do this. And I got an additional benefit, which I didn't realize. Um, I'd like to say I was so strategic and intended Just to get pretend. this. Just yeah. pretend. Uh, yeah. So, so very strategically, <laughs> the additional benefit is that they also have not just the work experience, but the cultural context to know when they find the good fit uh, of staying. So from a tenure perspective too, especially when you're a team, that so much of the value of what you bring is the fact that you're great at working together and experienced at working together, that adds so much. Uh, And that was like a key component that came with hiring someone with expertise. And so I, one of the things for me, as long as we stay as specialized as we are, is I'm never gonna hire a junior person right out of college again. Just cause there's two, it feels like a Grand Canyon to traverse <laughs> and right when you get to the other side, they're like, see ya. Hey, thanks, thanks. Nice I got an offer for twice the salary. And you know, and at, again, because I specialize, they're still not adding that amount of value to me, but for a less specialized firm, after two years of me having trained them, they absolutely add that amount of value. Right, and you're just about waiting for the payoff, and they go, I'm gonna go get paid more for that payoff. Yes, yeah. Um, Accurate, you know, what I would say about that is, I think more mature companies, when you've done some hiring, and I'm not talking more mature, meaning more money or larger, but it, it tends to show up there to me, so when you start to have multiples of employees and multiple millions, um, they do not make hiring decisions from a financial perspective. Yes. And I think for smaller companies that are starting up before you have that experience, you're looking at a spreadsheet and your profit and loss and saying, well, I can't afford. And so you do exactly what you just described, which is not a strategic hire. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you figure that out without experience unless you hear something like this and you completely trust it. You go, oh, I'm gonna be different. I, you know, we just can't. Where in fact, if you start breaking down a larger salary and the return on investment, oftentimes a tenured person costs much less time, energy, and money. Absolutely. And, And if you're looking only through the money lens, bad mistake, and that's what I think Um, dictates so much of that and the cultural fit I think you can interview forever tenured or not you don't know till you spend time with people so 
the old adage of hire slow and fire fast is probably the best phrase I've ever heard because we often wait to hire until we need something rather than thinking, you know, this is something by the end of the year that has to happen. What do I need to do? And you start way early. And the other thing I would say that's an absolute do is always be hiring. Meaning you may not have a need, but if you are having conversations mm -hmm. perpetually with good people yes. and the possibility arises that you meet one that you say, this person would be, you know, gas in our gas tank, you can find a way to work with them, whether that, again, is a contract thing, an outsourced thing, a project-based thing, a part-time thing, or a full-time thing. And I think too often newer companies don't think like that, where it's like if you are always hiring in your mind, you will be receptive to great people because the cultural piece is the compliment that most of us screw up. Because you can look at competencies on paper and it's easy to say, oh, Matab, you didn't get that done. Your numbers look bad. This didn't go well. We have a consistent path of evidence that says you're not the right person or your experience isn't right. That is very objective. The subjectivity of can we live together? Can we work through hard stuff? When the stuff hits the fan, do we attack each other or do we attack the issue? Mm -hmm. um, all of that stuff you, you need time for. Yeah. And I think that one of the initial mistakes around that is thinking, and we've talked about this before, but that if they're like you, yeah, they're that, awesome. That, that it's going to <laughs> work on. out well, that you're yeah. going to. And I think that one of the things from that culture perspective, because that is such a tricky nut to crack, and there's so many different ways of doing that. One way I've tried to do that is in the interview process, I have people do the strengths finder, um, because I just want to understand a little bit about them. And then I try to make sure that when they have strengths that are different than my strengths, to not necessarily think like, oh, that's going to irritate me uh, because they're super detail-oriented and they're an input, which means that they're constantly going to be sending me articles to read and things to do and whatever. And, just, and you're going to get right on that. Yeah, yeah, and cluttering up my inbox. <laughs> but to recognize, like, do we have this here? And could we benefit from it here as a culture? Right. And I think that's the other thing is when you're doing the hiring, it is this balance between your personal preferences and needs and the needs of the organization. And so recognizing that sometimes what your company needs to thrive is not necessarily going to be what you individually would enjoy or prefer. And being able to sort of look at both of those things. Super well them. said. Yeah. And you've always got to choose, even in a culture of two, to yes. your point, what's best for the greater good because it's going to advance the whole thing, not you. And it's not ever easy, I don't think. No. I haven't found it ever. I haven't heard anyone say, oh, the people part of my business, that is a slam dunk. <laughs> Never. Yeah. Yes. All right. Yeah. That you, was wanna, you want to do your great summary? You're usually all the summarizer. <laughs> I count on you for that. Okay. So what did we say? We talked about um, deciding when, and we talked about the fact that sometimes it's going to be an individual, sometimes it's going to be a consultant. We talked about making sure that it's adding to what you do and not just replicating what you do and mm -hmm. sort of filling in some blanks. We talked about the importance of not only looking through a money lens, but looking through a needs-based lens mm -hmm. as well. 
What else did we talk about? You know what we didn't talk about that I want to add in is you have to remember even if you add one person, outsourced, part-time, whatever, in whatever capacity, it includes management as a new skill set oh, yes. and leadership. And I'm not sure many of us that's a strong suit or something we desire doing, which is a whole nother topic. Yes. Because the time invested, which you were talking about with a new person versus a tenured person, is equivalent. And I think people think, oh, with a tenured person, it's going to be so much less. You're managing something different mm -hmm. because the competencies there with a newer person, you're managing competencies and startup kind of stuff. So I just want to pitch that in because, again, I never in the beginning thought about this is going to take a ton of time and energy. I went, thank God, I'll just offload things and I am down the road. I get to do more of what I want to do. I didn't consider how much time, energy, and money it was going to take to make sure somebody onboarded, which is 6 to 12 months, I think, before they really feel like they're clicked in place and humming whether they're great or not. Yeah, that's such an important point. Um, I think also just that for those of us who love what we do, and I think um, and many people who start businesses, it's because they want to do it they want to go forward and get the thing done and they don't want to be impeded yep. by others, which is why they started their own thing and, <laughs> exactly. and not working as an employee. Damn it, I need <laughs> others. Yeah, and it really feels sometimes <laughs> then when you have that of like sort of back in the same place but in a different dynamic where weight, I thought I got away from having to constantly be aware of and meet the needs of others. Um, and actually, it turns out that if you hire someone, you have to do that. The power <laughs> dynamic is reversed, but still, it, the, the still responsibility is still there. Is still there to yeah. ensure that the, the others are have their needs uh, met and have clarity and are happy as well. Right. So well said. So I think that's a, a fine point to get us to our our five data points we're going to consistently do. Yes. All right. So what are you reading, Mata? I have been rereading Daring Greatly uh, by Brene Brown. Uh, just, uh, I love her. I do too. I love her. Bias. Yeah. And, uh, but one of the things I've been thinking about is, um, actually, it's, she says it better than I can, so I'm just going to read this quote. So nice. She says, the big challenge for leaders is getting our heads and hearts around the fact that we need to cultivate the courage to be uncomfortable mm -hmm. and to teach the people around us how to accept discomfort as a part of growth. And I was, I've was i just been thinking about how just culturally we, every single message we get is about us alleviating discomfort. Whether that discomfort is physical mental, emotional, we're supposed to run away from it, we're supposed to medicate it, we're supposed to escape it, we're supposed to, and just how sometimes the discomfort is the thing. It is the only thing. Yeah, and I so I've just been trying to think of what that feels like and looks like in a business context, because um, I feel like I'm more comfortable with it in personal relationships or just in sort of my personal journey uh, to being a more conscious human being, but it's interesting when it begins to intersect with business mm -hmm. of how does discomfort show up and how do we allow it and enable it to be used as a catalyst for oh, growth. 
You are so, so wise. <laughs> um, so I've been reading The Five Dysfunctions of a Team because Love we are, that book. it's my favorite leadership book ever yes. written, I think. And I read it a lot because I end up teaching it and I'm going to be doing a workshop in April around it, around team health. And so it's very much about how do you move? And I think in the work I do with companies, 30% is the system and 70% is team health. And so really marinating in, you know, his five dysfunctions are so clear to me to how do you build trust, which is such a big question, but it can be very almost dismissible by people like, oh, I trust you, I don't trust you, it's that simple. Um, and it's not. There are all these nuances of how we erode it and how we build it and how we then move to healthy conflict, which is how do you have those tough conversations? And I'm someone who grew up in a family in an organization where he talks about, like, that's how we're organized. We had healthy conflict. I'm not sure it was always healthy, so please don't hear that. But it's that ability to challenge thinking and invite discord and you know get in and say I don't like what you did there or I you know I'm being vulnerable with you and saying I don't know how to do this and I feel like you just took advantage of that and having those conversations that have to happen in a workplace and a family and most of us didn't grow up in systems whether families or schools yes. or work that teach that or exhibit it yes. and so we aren't practiced and so it feels like foreign territory. And then he's got commitment as that next level where you can get all in even if it wasn't your idea and align, which is different than agree. And then he's got um, accountability, which is where the lack of conflict shows up because I won't bust you if I might be off. So let's just all screw up and not come back to this is what we said we'd do. Totally huge. And then the last one being results. And so as I'm reading it, my husband, who is a big sports fan, and I love sports, um, he he says you got to see this article on ESPN. And what was amazing to me is um, he's a total Packers hater because he's a Vikings fan. Um, no other reason, but we all respect and admire Aaron Rodgers, and I think the Packers are okay. Um, they aren't my team, but. Aaron Rodgers turned around the Packers this year and he said it was because he read this book mm -hmm. after their six game losing streak and they won every single game afterward. And he said, my leadership needed a reset. And so it was just this validating from a place that I would never look to go, you're reading Patrick Lencioni, what? Um, fascinating. So um, I would put that in any leader's book of you must read this, you must get this, you must read again, hit repeat, similar to Daring Greatly. Two really, really valuable books. Awesome. All right. Aha moments. My aha? Well, the first podcast was what? A few weeks ago. And I have given up email already. Oh, wow. So the cool part was I decided the only way to find out how to do it is to rip the Band-Aid off. And I'm not a process person, so I just went, I more rather would hit my head in the wall. So I'm on week two. I think I started it a week after we were last together. And so for me, I have to tell you, I've gotten two to three hours back in my day. Wow. In my day. And it has been nearly painless. Um, 
And it's prompted some more conversations, but I will tell you I have more clarity and more peace in my life without the disruption of checking that during the day, but looking at night, seeing what was left for me that only I can answer, that I couldn't supply an answer to someone to communicate for me. So knock on wood, uh, it's going well. That's awesome. That's my aha is I don't need it. Very cool. Very cool. My aha moment actually has to do with recognizing, uh, there was this article that went around Facebook uh, that said, are you an extroverted introvert? Oh, I saw that post. Yes. And I was like, as I read it, I was like, that's me because I've been really questioning over the last year. And I think we even had this talk and you said that last time, or maybe, I don't know, sometime when you and I had been talking about it and you said that the Myers-Briggs folks said that you couldn't shift between extrovert and introvert and I was like that's so weird because I really feel that I'm shifting hmm. and it was such an aha moment to like read this description of extroverted introvert and to really recognize oh that's me and just sort of and what was also really fascinating was I posted it and then all of these people who are like some of my favorite people on the planet were like, same, me too. <laughs> and it was just so funny because it was like, you know, amusing and also a little bit embarrassing how we love the people that are just like us, you know, because <laughs> it was just Back like, to the hiring thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of, Collect your oh, friends that way. You know, yeah, all the me too's. I was like, of course, I love all of you. <laughs> You're just like me. That's so. Cool. So I had enough of you, now I'm going to go recharge. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. Awesome stuff. All right. Um, WTF? Oh. Wow, that's fantastic. Or? Yeah. Um, I think the wow, that's fantastic, or WTF, mm -hmm. is just for me an overwhelm right now um, about how basic principles of human functioning and dignity appear to have become partisan. And what I'm really struggling with is <clears throat> I dislike partisan politics and I want to be principled and have principle-based conversations without being political. Um, and I'm really struggling with, right now with how to do that because some things that just feel like, how could this be political? Feeling like the right to have clean drinking water uh, doesn't feel to me like it in any way could in any real situation be a political issue and yet here we are and it just so that's my WTF is so many things that I feel like there's no possible way this be, could become politicized and then on top of that partisan and yet so many things everything it feels almost like every conversation is a quagmire <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. Uh, I'm not going to talk very long in this one. My answer that I wrote down was, it's hard not to be political on this one. Um, the overwhelm word so resonates for me because I feel like no matter where I look or go or talk, it's, it's just this overwhelming thing. And to me, the WTF is, I am so excited to leave this country today mm -hmm. and completely disconnect from it because I, I can't sort out anymore because to your point there are people I'm choosing not to interface with because it's too effortful mm -hmm. it feels heavy and hard because I can't just say hey how's your day going without going down a particular path and um, I think there's a level at which 
for me, I hear more and more people saying some of the things you've said early on, which is, I just can only do an hour on news. I can hardly do that much. Yeah. You know, I I have to disconnect, and I think we are so numb right now. Mm -hmm. There are so many people numb because you can't, like, I can't all take, in. Yes. It's, it's not one or two big issues, which it always seemed to used to be. Mm -hmm. Now it's like there's... 35 and they all matter to me mm -hmm. and I'm irritated by all of them at a fundamental level that I want to do something about it and I can't yeah so I get this mixed message of the activist in me is alive and pissed off and the human being is going I need a break yeah, I, I'm, I'm tired and hopeless and then I'll get a I'm hopeful and I'm encouraged and so yeah I I it's hard to even not be political right now. It's mm -hmm. just a tough time in history. Yes. How's that? I don't know what to do with it. Yeah, I think that that is fair. Yeah. All right. The what the hell? Oh my God, the hell no. <laughs> hell no? Uh, uh, I think, honestly, that picture that was circulating. <gasps> I know what you're gonna say. All of the white men. That's exactly what I wrote down. Oh my God. Old white guys oh. voting on women's health care. Yes. And Jesus. Then, and then I saw a exchange online, and this again just goes to show you like what has happened to humans, where someone as a joke, and I I love the dogs cat humor. Song. That one's funny, yeah. but I love humor, and I love humor as a means of helping ourselves understand things and to deal with things. And someone. I think it was a man had tweeted something like, you shouldn't have to pay for maternity care. As a man, you shouldn't yes. have to pay for maternity care unless you yourself at one point were born. Um, <laughs> Thank which, you. Which, Thank which, you. Which I really like appreciated. You know, I thought it was funny. It was like a funny way of like helping to contextualize the thing. Until I saw that one of the responses said something like, if you give me a ride somewhere once, do I have to pay for your car insurance? And I, <gasps> yeah, and that was that was my back to oh, I want to punch no. that person yeah, yeah. in the throat. <laughs> yeah, and so just um, just I think like yeah, just that whole scenario of how is this real life? Um, yeah, I have nothing to add because I had the exact same one, and my point of humor was the photo of all the dogs yeah. sitting around the table discussing a cat's health. Yeah. And I was like very impressed that they used the cat yeah. as us. Yes. Since the whole pussy thing came <laughs> up. And I went like, I thought there was a double kind of humor to it, but nothing to add. Would yes. just be piling on because it's just a sad state. It's really a sad state. Right. All right. So your product or service ending on our very happy. So my uh, product or service is actually a weekly newsletter I get. Um, it comes out Sunday nights. <laughs> it's by this amazing woman called Stacy Marie Ishmael, and it's called the Awesome Women Newsletter. So you can just Google Awesome Women, a newsletter, um, and sign up for it. And it comes every Sunday night, and she just writes beautifully. It's very short. It's a paragraph or two of her thoughts and then she always has three sections um, they're engage learn and connect and they're just links to different things and I love it because she brings a perspective so I love how she writes it's it just but she brings a perspective of connecting me to ideas and articles and thoughts that I always find really insightful 
um, and that I really appreciate. I look forward. I mean, how, how often can you say you look forward to getting an email? Mm -hmm. But I look forward to Sunday Especially nights. Especially a newsletter. Yeah, I look forward to Sunday nights and getting that newsletter. That's so. very cool. Well, mine is very self-focused. Um, I got a new Nikon D810 camera, which if you're not a camera person, you would have no appreciation for. But at this juncture in his history, it's a pretty kick-ass camera. Yeah. And um, I'm, I also got a GoPro for multiple reasons. But today's reason is because I'm leaving for South Africa and I could not be more excited about the capacity of this camera to flip between amazing shots because it's 32 megapixels, which blows my mind because I bought the very first digital camera because I'm an art major. And so I spent $1,000 on this Kodak one megapixel camera back in the day when no one had a digital and I was walking around Disney World with it, and I was the <laughs> coolest person on the planet. And I feel that same way about this Nikon, except for it's, it's just the capacity to flip between amazing pictures with that kind of detail in a place in the world that I've never been with extraordinary animals and experiences awaiting should be very cool, and the video is unbelievable. It so is, it is. That's my fun. Awesome. Yeah, we'll see how they turn out. Yes. All right. Well, thanks. We made it. We did. And there will be another. Yes. So until the next one, thanks for joining us. Yes. Bye-bye.